I am a basketball junkie in addition to being a photographer. So the fact that I get to, you know, scrunch up and sit on the baseline and be that close to not only watching the game, but hearing it, I mean, smelling it, sensing it. I mean, it it is, I am so spoiled. I told someone the other day that I, I don't think I'll ever be able to watch a game from the stands again because the perspective is so unique. It's basketball season in Chapel Hill. That was Jack Morton, a local freelance photographer and self-proclaimed basketball junkie. He'll be at games throughout the season. He's in his 13th year of scrunching up on Carolina's baseline to take photos. But Carolina basketball has been a part of his family for many more. Welcome to Well Set, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's official storytelling podcast. Jack graduated from Carolina in 2000 with a degree in journalism. On this week's episode, Jack will share his journey into photography. His story is a tale of two families, a family of photographers and the Carolina basketball family. But first about Jack's family of photographers. The Morton's history with photography starts with Jack's grandfather, Hugh. So my grandfather, you know, and I don't remember all the details perfectly, but he picked up photography when he was a teenager. So that would have been in the mid-1930s. He grew up in Wilmington, but he went to summer camp up in uh, the Linville area. Uh, There was a camp for boys called Camp Yananoka. And uh, he grew up going there as a kid during the summers, but then he became a counselor. And he had taken an introductory course there one summer and then he showed up the next summer and the man that ran the camp told him that the the gentleman that was supposed to teach the course that summer wasn't going to be there and that he was going to be the teacher. And so he started teaching photography when he was, I'm guessing, I don't know, 16, something like that at camp every summer. Uh, and so it became a, a passion of, of his and a hobby for him uh, before he even came to Chapel Hill. And then when he got here, He photographed for the Daily Tar Heel and Yakety Yak and all the different, I mean, I think everything sort of crossed over back at that time. And then he went on to be a uh, newsreel photographer in the war. And one thing obviously continued to lead to another. And uh, photography was something he continued for decades after World War II. Hugh is often called North Carolina's unofficial photographer. Many of the beautiful pictures you've seen of the state are probably his. He also photographed Carolina basketball for more than 60 years. So Jack grew up in this family of talented photographers, but he says he never really studied it himself. I mean, I went to the best journalism school in the country and I never took a photography course here, which I look back on that sometimes and sort of wonder, you know, if that was a missed opportunity. But at the same time, you know, with with time, you look back with hindsight and realize that things sort of played out the way that they were supposed to. And, and I, I think it's funny, my, my education with photography came by way of just being, you know, a member of my family and, and watching him over the years, um, you know, and then also my dad and my uncle were both phenomenal photographers. Um, they, neither one really pursued it career-wise, just because I think of, you know, who their father was, um, there probably was just that factor that a lot of fathers and sons have of um, not wanting to try to do exactly what your dad 
does or did, and uh, I think I benefited from being a generation removed from it. But um, no, my my education with it was just uh, growing up around it. Jack says his grandfather, uncle, and dad didn't exactly try to teach him photography. It was just something he was exposed to. There were only a handful of, I mean, if you want to call them like teachable moments or show me moments that I even had. And they were primarily with my with my granddad, and they were also later. I mean, I, I, I photographed one football game with him, uh, and that was my freshman year here uh, in the fall of 96. Carolina played over at Duke, and um, he, for whatever reason, he had an extra sideline pass and um, asked me if I wanted to, to go, and I think I shot maybe two or three rolls of film. You know, I, I didn't really have any idea what I was doing. I wasn't trying, obviously, to do it so much on a professional level. Um, but, you know, I, I think that that was more of a, hey, do you want to tag along kind of thing than it was a um, let me show you how to do this sort of, of thing. Um, when I worked up at Grandfather Mountain uh, doing family stuff in the, the fall of 2000, right after I graduated, from from college, I photography was a, a good part of what I did up there during that period of time. The Morton family owned and operated Grandfather Mountain until 2008. Hugh inherited the mountain when his father died. Hugh led the family in converting it into a nature preserve and tourist attraction, building a road to the top to give tourists a one-of-a-kind view. In 2008, the family sold it to the state, and it's now a North Carolina state park. So working in the family business at Grandfather Mountain after college exposed him even more to what could be called the other family business, photography. So I did spend some time with both my grandfather and my Uncle Jim Morton, you know, going out, working on specific sort of things. One And my primary project that fall was actually just as much for WRAL here and in, in, over in Raleigh as it was for Grandfather Mountain, but they were at that time really trying to drive traffic to their website. And so they wanted to have a uh, fall color gallery. It was really sort of like a day-to-day evolution of fall color in the mountains. And so I would go out each day to various places and try to find nice scenery, good fall color photos, that sort of thing. And, And my uncle helped me a little bit with that, you know, at that time, we had up there at, at the mountain, that was the first digital camera that that they had. And uh, you could take about four or five photos, and then you had to go back to the office and download them. There was no um, <laughs> no capacity beyond that. So you still had to be very choosy with, with what you did. You know, and then, and then there would be a moment or two, I, I won't go into it, but where, um, you know, there are sort of the classic, quote-unquote, Hugh Morton, scenes up there. I mean, he had his go-to spots for various uh, visuals, and he took me along once or twice to show me, you know, kind of the hidden spot for this or the best spot, you know, for, for that vantage point. And, and there, there was some of that, but in terms of the, the technical aspects of, of photography, you know, how to frame a photo, how to do this with your subject, how to, you know, that, none of that fundamental stuff was was taught. That was, um, I think, just sort of acquired through experience and things that I had seen over the years. Those moments have a special meaning to Jack. 
because of them, and because of his grandfather, places that mean a lot to North Carolinians mean something a little different to Jack. The, the one that comes to mind the most is the spot on the Blue Ridge Parkway where you have the ideal view of the Lynn Cove Viaduct, which was the, that last piece of the puzzle that they built. I think it opened in 87. And, you know, not to get into the story, but he for years fought the Parkway folks. They wanted to finish the Blue Ridge Parkway by, by going over part of Grandfather Mountain. And he refused to let that happen. And um, they wound up building what's still considered a state-of-the-art uh, you know, bridge that sort of hugs the side of the mountain. One of the fun facts with it is that it's actually held together with glue. It, it's it goes at such an angle; it's almost like driving the curve of a of a racetrack. When it opened, and the way that it was nestled against the side of the mountain, it was a uh, uh, a visual that he loved. I think for him, he loved it visually. I think it was also probably very rewarding because it came as a result of of him being very determined to uh, keep the, the actual parkway off of the, the mountain itself. And um, so he got into the habit of going out to that spot and photographing it in every condition that you can imagine, fall color, uh, sunsets, um, snow, uh, you know, anything along those lines. So that's where he took me uh, in the fall of 2000 to sort of uh, you know, it was one of those show me moments, you know, and, and uh, we had to really kind of bushwhack to get back to the spot that he had sort of created. Uh, at that time, um, there was a tiny, there really wasn't even a walking trail. I mean, he had w- gone back in there enough that he had cut back enough branches to kind of create a little path. That was pretty remarkable to look back on because for the, um, for the millennium Rand McNally Atlas, so the one that came out in 2000, 2001, right in there, um, they actually put one of his photos of the viaduct on the cover. And from that point on, the, the, the people, the tourists, the visitors, all went on this mission to find that same spot because they wanted to take the same picture. And I haven't been up there to that actual area to go out and see it in, in years, but the last time I went, probably 10 years ago, I mean, you, you know, there's a dozen cars parked along the side of the parkway and people waiting to go to the spot. The, the ground has been tread. There's no grass left. People figured out pretty quickly where that was. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was neat to, to see that um, in its early stages. After his experience at Grandfather Mountain, Jack started doing his own photography. He also rode and did other things, too, for places like a local magazine and a private high school. He also did internal communications for a large company in Raleigh. Then, something changed. So my grandfather passed away June 1st of 2006. And uh, it was at his uh, funeral service that the folks from Sports Information at UNC were there. And uh, Steve Kirshner, who's been Sports Information Director here for years, came up to me, and I, I mean, I'll never for, forget it, he, I mean, because it completely blindsided me. He, he said, you know, your grandfather photographed Carolina athletics for over 60 years, and we'd like for you to do it for another 60, you know, something along those lines. And, and um, so, yeah, this will be my 13th year of doing uh, Carolina football and, and then basketball. And But I, I didn't, you know, at that point in time, I was doing photography in jobs, um, but I had not 
gone out on my own with my own business, you know, in 2006. That didn't actually happen until 2009. It's interesting that there there was only one instance where I ever showed my granddad any of my basketball photos. And it was when it was only because he happened to be in the hospital here during that winter of 0506 before he died, you know, they had randomly, you know, asked me if I wanted to shoot a game, which I did. And I, I, I showed him some of those pictures and, um, you know, there was a little bit of critique, which was fine because I look back on that again, hindsight, um, that was the only time that was it. I mean, when you think about the, the, the thread that runs through this whole story and, Hopefully I can continue to do it for another 40-plus years or however long and, and, and then for how long he did it. It's pretty amazing that there was only one instance where I showed him anything or he saw any of my work because I don't think everything really clicked for me until after he passed away. And I don't really know why that... I don't know that, there, that there's a reason for that. I, I think maybe that's just the way that my life was intended to, you know, play out in terms of a timeline. Continuing to do what he did is incredibly unique. It's very special. I am a basketball junkie in addition to being a photographer, so the fact that I get to, you know, scrunch up and sit on the baseline and be that close to not only watching the game but hearing it, I mean, smelling it, sensing it, I mean, it is... I am so spoiled. I told someone the other day that I, I don't think I'll ever be able to watch a game from the stands again because the perspective is so unique. But, you know, those first few years after he died, I, you know, at games, the, the people like the ushers um, and folks that sit at the scorer's table and, you know, I, you would randomly bump into, it seemed like every other person had a Hugh Morton story or, you know, sure do miss your granddad you know, there was a lot of, of that those first few years, and, 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 and there's still some of it now. We're 12 years removed from, from his passing, so it's sort, of, it's sort of fading at this point. But I, I think that the thing that I always come back to is you, and I didn't set out with this objective, but I think it's just how it's happened. You, you always keep in mind and appreciate and salute the foot that got you into the door or how the door was opened, um, the connection, uh, the person, you know, the lineage, whatever you want to call it. But then I think you, over time, you, you develop your way of, of doing it. And, and so you're not a clone of your grandfather. You're your own creative individual. And, and so finding that balance, it's sort of like walking a, a, a tightrope at times because you, you don't want to completely disregard how you got to where you are. Thanks for listening to this episode of Well Said. Be sure to tune in next week when Jack continues his story. He'll share how the Carolina basketball family helped him overcome a particularly difficult day. It's amazing how when a day like that happens or something like that happens, how, how you remember every single detail. And I think so much of that also comes from your, your senses. I remember how humid it was that day. I remember, you know, the fact that we had a thunderstorm that night and the power went out at our house after I, you know, found out about what had happened. 
I know where I was when my mom called me and very calmly said, you know, I think you better come home. 